Welcome to the second happy hour with Stretch and Stir Fry. Stir Fry, how are you? Very good, Stretch. Good to be back. Well, it's lovely to see you. And um, I've got to say, I think we slightly got away with our first ever podcast last week, mainly thanks to the brilliance of our guest, Ian. He was amazing. It was good to have him carrying me again. And um, the fact that he was strong enough to carry both of us was a bonus. Yeah, I've got to say, he was good fun to chat to. And less bossy than usual. He, is he getting gentler in his old age? Well, he didn't swear much either. Yeah, it was pleasant. I enjoyed it. And he didn't tell us. He didn't actually tell us what to do either, which he normally does whenever we're on the golf course. Yeah, he sort of uh, he stepped away from his coaching role. I thought he would be pod coach, but he was actually just a, a proper um, pleasurable guest. It was good. Good. Well, it's good to see one's friends mellowing in. A, I wouldn't say old age, but mellowing as they get older. So this week we've got British Olympian Luke Patience coming online. Um, Stir Fry, give us a bit of background on Luke. Uh, Luke, I would imagine if I know Luke, he will want to speak a little bit about whiskey. So I've prepared a few bottles, um, not being an expert by any stretch of the imagination. I'm hoping he might just give us a little tour through the highlands and uh, uh, tell us what we should be drinking. Um, he's a great little sailor, super talented. He will avail us of... 470 stories through the ages and uh, hopefully he will give us uh, some indication of what it's going to be like going to the delayed Olympics. Great well I'm really looking forward to it. Guys welcome today Luke Patience how are you? <laughs> Very well thank you good to be here. And on the other line we've got the one and only Star Fry. Fry how are you? Not bad stretch and good afternoon Lukey. Good afternoon. We thought that as we were uh, chatting to a Scotsman we should bring out the whiskey. Um, I mean, it's four o'clock after all on a Tuesday. So, um, guys, what have you got for us today? Lukey, you kick it all off. All right. Well, I, I brought out a few bottles here because um, I wasn't decided yet of what mood I'm in. But um, I've got, I think I've got my favourite whiskey of all time here, actually, which is probably what I'm going to have, which is a, a nice wee, an Aberlour, a Buna. They didn't make many of these. And... Uh, and it's it's a it's a proper proper bit of nectar. You can see the colour as well. It's like amber, like honey. So I think it'll on these dark times. I think I'll have a rather tasty whiskey. Oh. Stir fry pressure's on. What have you got? Uh, well, um, I went for a monkey shoulder. So Lukey will have to give a appraisal. I quite like it. Is it any good? I quite like it too. It's a blended whiskey, is it not? Um, yeah, it's a blended. Yeah, yeah. Signal. but so it, a- yeah, yeah, but no, but that doesn't mean it's bad. That's a good. That's still a good wee dram. Very drinkable, as they'd say. Do you know what? Actually, on the note, of whiskey. I tell you where to get whiskey is go and buy. It's called the Highland Black Eight Year Old in Aldi. Right for a bottle of whiskey, you'll pay twelve pound fifty. And this is not a plug, by the way. I'm not sponsored by Highland Black. <laughs> um, Aldi. And they will, is the, without any shadow of a doubt, the best whiskey you'll drink for that amount of money. Uh, and it continually wins whiskey awards, like taste awards. And because the, the master blenders are blindfolded, so it's not biased on where it's from or how, it, how it's labelled. It's just on taste. And have you got a bottle there now? Oh, I finished it already. Come on, <laughs> we've been in lockdown for a while now. It's been three, been three weeks of lockdown. Yeah. What have you got, Rory? I've got Copper Dog. Mm. It is blended by a mate of mine. Um, 
and this is the first uh, first time I've had it, and it's absolutely delicious. Wait, what is in um, there from Craig Elke? It is from yeah, exactly yeah. Craig Elke. Oh, cool. um, do you guys know what a copper dog is? Come on. Come on, Stafford, you'll have, you'll have probably tried to do this in the past, actually. A copper it's, dog, as in a cocktail? No, as is in it my still? whiskey. What was, a, what was a copper dog originally in the whiskey world? No idea. Surely the still, where they distill the... the... Not, not, far, not far off. Um, so the rascals who worked at these, um, at these uh, distilleries would, um, would shove a pipe down the inside leg of their trousers. And, um, mm. and help themselves a little wee dram down the inside of their trousers. Yeah. Um, okay. Dog. And uh, and apparently it's what you you jocks did quite a lot of the time. And so, um, so the owners of the distilleries had to constantly hunt for the copper dog, which is probably the last thing you want to be doing. Yeah, yeah. That'll be my next venture now that we're struggling. I had, I had, I did get another whiskey, and then I realised it was Irish whiskey, and I felt that with Luke around, I couldn't really Ooh. do that. No, no. no. Oh, hey, listen, Celtic's Celtic. We're... I just, I just kind of felt because we're sailors, and we're talking sailing, that we should get out one of the most famous sponsors uh, <laughs> of sailing, thanks to um, Jamison on the Rocks. Yeah. So far, you're probably old enough to have sailed in that regatta. Were you uh, sailing then when they put Jamison? Yeah, they were. They were. Um... Just a beam of us when they clonked Gernard Ledge. Uh, Harold was on there, Tom McWilliam. Who else? I think Dave Powis. Um, Dave Powis. Joe English might have been on there. Um, I mean, whoever came up with a Jameson on the rocks the next morning on the... <laughs> I think it was on the Telegraph and the Times back page advertising. <laughs> Smart. I'd not heard that until now. That's quite good. Wasn't it, the, um, wasn't it King of Denmark's boat or something? It was Fram, yeah. So I think uh, Harold chartered the boat for the fully sponsored Jameson Irish team, which was Fram as the one-tonner, Shockwave the um, 44, and Heaven Can Wait the big boat. They were all Shockwave livery, very impressive. Uh, sorry, um, Jameson livery, very impressive. Um, but unfortunately, first race of the Admiral's Cup, um, they stuck it on the bricks. So that was it. <laughs> on the rocks in case, I'll, I'll put that to the back I'll keep on the top copper dog for now okay <laughs> um, so we've got to drink whiskey to celebrate because um, very good news for Luke and for Twiggy and for the other members of the um, British sailing team in that you're you've had confirmation now that you'll retain your places for Tokyo 2021 yeah yeah that was this morning I mean so ironically that's the fourth time I've been announced for the Olympics in five years because um, <laughs> obviously for Rio and then sadly with Elliot's um, bowel cancer is a reselection then and then obviously now with the uh, I, I'm the luckiest guy I've been selected for Team GB four times when it only should have been twice um, but no it's good it's cool it, you can in these unprecedented times you kind of got to keep open to anything I was fairly open minded to the fact that the BOA might say, well, look, you know, it's a whole other year. We just need to make sure it's it's a clean slate and fair for everyone and and start the process again. But, I mean, as, as you guys well know, like the cornerstone of our Olympic select, uh, success is often in early selection and giving that boat time to get ready and actually try and be good on the waters in the venue, not winning a trial. So... 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, for me, that decision just highlighted that they're thinking about the athletes. Yeah. You know, which is great, obviously. So, so you, were, you were generally a little apprehensive until you heard I was. the announcement? Yeah, yeah. What, we only got told last night and it got announced this morning. So we, we hadn't been given any sniff of, I mean, you can look at it pretty practically and go, well, when are they going to put a, a world championships in to even have a trials? You know, there's some fairly obvious things you could, you could, you could kind of look at and go, well, surely we're pretty safe. But no, no, we weren't, we weren't told at all. I wasn't apprehensive, but God, I mean, it, the, I, the Olympic trials is some of my worst memories in the sport, not my best. Like if you to look back at the whole thing, go, what would you erase? It would be trials, always trials. So yeah, to get the box ticked and not have to be apprehensive is cool. Yeah, well, congratulations. That's such good news for you guys. Yeah. I think we're all chuffed to bits that perhaps the selectors and then the British Olympic Association have done the right thing so you guys can focus on the future now, whatever it holds, I suppose. Yeah, I think they've done the right thing. I mean, there's a few obvious names that I won't say that that will be up, very upset by that decision um, in some of the classes where it was really tight. But... Um, and, I, and there, I have no right or wrong answer to what they should or shouldn't have done. But I'm just pleased they have reselected us anyway. You know, yeah. Um, I think we'd love to chat about your preparation or or how to prepare for the, for the Olympics. And no one's quite sure. But um, just for our for our listeners, Luke, it'd be quite nice to just to sort of take things back a bit and um, give the guys a bit of background on your sailing. Um, so where did you kick off? Your sailing career, I suppose, or your enjoyment of sailing, I should say. Well, yeah, so um, uh, Ruin Helmsborough, up in the west coast of Scotland. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've sailed on the River Clyde or been up there at all. Um, up near the dockyards where Billy Conley was once at a welding sword in his hand, <laughs> you know, gain at Yaldi and all the big ships, but we were just down the road from that. And... Um, and really, it's the whole thing, you know, you, it's probably a fairly standard story that you hear from most Olympians, but it wasn't, it, the whole thing was just, I, I did many sports, I enjoyed doing all sorts. I even got a leotard on now and then and pranced about on the uh, gymnastics floor, um, which I quite enjoyed. And uh, well, I probably still does a bit of that. Bit <laughs> <laughs> make gymnastics stretch. Yeah, yeah. In the wee yeah. hours normally. <laughs> yeah. um so then you got so you you jumped in an oppie what was the yeah, sort of start in an oppie um you know it, the whole thing was just more fun at the start it's just splashing around with your mates you know it'd be a tuesday after school thing you know and or thursdays and down to the local marina where actually it was uh, it was the mums really the mums of the sort of all the family friends that were down at rue marina that um that uh that got us into it you know and and they you know we just wanted to play and capsize as kids normally do and they were just so good like linda pender and Anne essen and caroline normand caroline dobson as well charlotte's mum they were pivotal in getting us out and getting us wet in opties and um uh and yeah and it just sort of and sure enough the dads get stuck in when the racing starts you know all that splashing about it seemed to be they seem to be absent for, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's really, I mean, it, I just got a bug for, 
being out and and no like lines, you know, not like a tennis court or a running track. I just was hooked by that whole creativity to it, you know, and how you meander your own path that you think's best. And it, I was just totally gripped by the whole thing. Loved it. So you had, you had a pretty good community up there in that case. We did. It was it was a proper bubble. It was a really good community, but had you know it was a it was a real tight bubble of family friends and things like that. I, we were really lucky. I mean, my dad has been a enthusiast of sailing his whole life, and all my ancestors, like grandfathers and great grandfathers on both sides, they were all seamen. You know, my 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 on my mum's side there was a long line of lifeboatmen. They would work out of Grotty Ferry in the in the east coast. Uh, in sort of like up just north of Edinburgh, and on my dad's side, they're all fishermen. I don't know if you remember, if you don't seen any old photos of they were called Zulus right up in the northeast of Scotland, up near Peterhead and Inverness and and Fraserborough and Bucky. Real man, oh, that, like proper 70 foot huge lumps of, of wood and canvas. And sure enough, the fastest sailor would get to the fish first get the best catch and sail the thing back to the shore faster than anyone and get the best price for his herring. So the whole thing has been steeped in generations of, of, of being on the, on the water. So how does, um, I mean, it's, it's much easier for all the South coast kids to sort of start, start perhaps on this kind of racing program that's now set up. How did, how did you and your little crew manage to find your way down to try and take on all the, Southern shandy drinking sailor. You don't get to see her. <laughs> Do you know? I know. We well, at first we got we got the South Coast fairies to come up to Scotland and teach us like a bit more advanced racing skills and stuff like that. I remember we took up people like Chris Draper, Laurie, his dad. You know, Laurie came up. Um, uh, I think James Date uh, would come up. Uh, we had. Um, I'll be missing names out, which would be embarrassing. Um, but we, but you know, you know, Brian State would come and help as well. We we would we would ferry people up from the south coast to teach our we we had quite a good wee squad actually. We sort of had like fifteen twenty boats in Scotland in oppies. This is, and we travel all around Scotland in the lochs and the sea, um, doing a Scottish travel series, just in a world of our own. I didn't even know that sailing existed anywhere else at that point. So um, a lot of lake sailing then, huh? A lot of lake sailing on the locks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we Loch Lomond, Loch Tummel, um, Loch Venacher. I mean, these are all words that half the listeners probably don't even know. But you know, it, yeah, uh, in the, in the mountain ranges on free. And I remember having to in the winter, you'd come down to your boat in the morning. There'd be a sheet ice over the cover, and uh, and of course the main sheet's not going to go around any block. So you're there snapping the main sheet over your knee to try and get it to start running through the blocks. Um, so there's winter training and then there's winter training. It suddenly makes Weymouth look a lot, lot easier. Well, funny, funnily enough, the first time I ever went south in Moppy, Dad, you know, we put it on the roof and Dad drove the five hundred odd miles down after school on the Friday. I, I think I got my first invite to a squad of some description, maybe intermediate squad or something, and. Um, and I remember dropping into Weymouth on the Saturday morning. You know, slept in the car overnight in a service station when Dad was half asleep at the wheel, and rolled into Weymouth at whatever eight in the morning on a Saturday. And I saw a palm tree at the side. You know how Weymouth kind of there's that climb where they've got these wee mini palm trees. And I was like, yeah. "Fucking hell, Dad! Look, there's a palm tree! I can't believe like, this is so warm down here." 
<laughs> you know, could not believe that there were palm trees growing down there and that, that I'd be sailing in the sunny south coast. We, we, I mean, my old man put in some miles to keep me in the sport and keep me competitive. Like he, it was one hell of a task. And we, and, and he, we had no money as a family. We would just sleep in the car, you know, and I, I was just shocked at the industry down there. You know, there's people camper vans and caravans and, and I just, it was the norm for us that we would have secondhand equipment and just sleep in the back seat of the car in Scotland. You know, I didn't even think anything of it. And I was exposed to this machine in the south coast of England, which is just wealth that we hadn't seen before in the sport. And we're still just talking about oppie sailing here. You know, it's not even... Your lucky dad got to meet the south coast oppie parents. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, lucky guy. But it's just different, isn't it? It's just different challenges. Do you think that upbringing and that sort of uh, sense of realism helped you or hindered you? Definitely, definitely helped. Yeah. Because it's attitude. Uh, you know, we, we wouldn't bat an eyelid at going out in 30 knots in the waves, whereas the race officer would be canning stuff before. I get it with safety, but I suppose my point is that it's just that we weren't. I definitely think that we were hardened more to the challenges of it. And, and I think it made. I think in those early years anyway, it, I was a more robust kid than perhaps some of the people I would race against. Yeah, so I, hard knocks. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying we're any special breed. I just mean like you're hardened to certain things way more. And, and, and I, think you're fa- I think it meant I was phased a bit less. Weather wouldn't bother me. If anything was happening in the South Coast, we'd experience double that up north. So weather was never a problem. You know, and um, the only thing that fazed me was the sheer number of... I wasn't exposed to that level of competition and the number of people. What about the heat down south? You must have struggled with that. <laughs> Do you know, sun cream would be on in January. <laughs> you know, in a hailing island winter squad when there was no clouds. Like, right, get that sun cream on. We'll be half burnt here by the time we get in. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what age were you when you... And perhaps alongside your dad reckoned that actually you were going to start taking sailing pretty seriously. Oh, God. I mean, I, he, for, he was just facilitating a hobby at that point. I was way more serious before he was. Uh, you know, I was obsessed with being the best by probably about, probably hooked at about nine, nine or ten years old was when I was really desperate to win boat races. But... The, but what I absolutely vividly remember, like I said, you've probably heard these stories a million times um, in different ways, but it was the Sydney Olympics for me. I was 13 when I watched that, so still in oppies. I watched the Sydney Games. I remember watching Nick and Joe in the 470, and, I, and, I, and even, funnily enough, um, the, the one that vividly sticks in my mind, I remember watching, it was one of the windier races in Sydney, and the Argentinians were up on the starboard ley line, blasting along in whatever race, I don't know how, how long through the competition. And I remember just falling in love with the, it was from a helicopter view, just falling in love with the look of a 470. You know, like Cunningham was on, the top of the main was twisted and, and feathering, you know, Juan at that point, the crew, they were both arms behind his head. And I just was in awe, looking at my jaw drop, like, wow, you, that look, everything about that moment just looked perfect. I was like, 
I want to know what that feels like. I'd love to do that. And um, and then sure enough, watching the whole games anyway. But um, I remember that that for me was when I turned to my dad and said, "Oh, that, this that's me. I want to do that. I want to be that that guy there." And and funnily enough, I actually raced the crew of that Argentinian boat at the London Games twelve years later, which is just the, one of the coolest things about sailing. As I watched him as a thirteen-year-old, he inspired me to get a four seventy. And sure enough, I was racing him at Olympics. And a certain sense of destiny then that Weymouth was your first Games? Luckily, yeah, luck, certainly luck. I mean, it's um, that, that you, you know, we all have these vivid memories that, that are corner, like turning points in your life, don't you? I mean, watching London win the bid, I was in, um, I was actually with uh, Bithel. Um, and Twiggy and uh, Callum McDonald, who's a really hotshot Scottish sailor that um, that was in four seventies at the time as well. Um, but we were all set. I was sitting with Twiggy and Callum and Stuart were sailing together. Anyway, we were watching the in my my front room in Scotland. We were doing a two boat training camp in and in, in Costa Dell, West Coast Scotland, and um, and we watched London get the bid and. Um, and we just were, it immediately sparked an argument in the kitchen. No, I'm going to be representing. No, you know you're not. That'll be me. No, it won't be. I bet you it's me. Right, let's put some money on it now. Be, you know. So we're arguing away who's going to represent the country uh, at that London Games. And sure enough, it, it wasn't in the combinations we thought it would be either. No. I mean, going back to so selections being some of your toughest times, you had a, a, a real rumble with, with Nick to get to that Olympics, didn't you? To get to London, we actually started sailing that cycle with Palm um, Palm Green. Palm Green, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and then and then Nick ended up actually ended up sailing by. We sailed with Willis for a while, but then ended up sailing with. Um, he ended up sailing with Twiggy. It's just funny how it all comes out. Like sports, yeah, very incestuous. In the yeah, sense, I know. Yeah. So we were all sort of doing this, you know, and. But it's just finding your feet, isn't it? What partnership works at that time for those re- But yeah, it got it was quite a it was a title trials because um Nasher and Elliot were double world champions. You know, Nick was obviously a double Olympic medalist and and you know countless medals in the class anyway. Um uh, and then there was me and Stuart who are the young cowboys pissed everyone off, you know, having a great time along the way. Maybe having a wee bit too much fun as we went, you know, but but young and passionate and and sort of just saw the racing for what it was. You know, we weren't, we didn't have a big body of history on our shoulders like the other two teams did, which I don't, I don't think is always helpful. Experience obviously works in this sport, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure defending is often a nice position to be in, you know? Yeah. I, don't know what I would think. say that you were the Johnny and Ian of the situation. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly, eh? I mean, certainly with the amount of fun that you engendered and uh, the spirit that you brought to the team, I would say you were the Johnny and Ian of 2012. Yeah, I wonder how Ian would look at that. He seems to make sure that now that now he's my boss, he's uh, make sure that none of those stories are resurfaced, you know, and he's been a professional on it man his whole whole life. Well, he, he we've heard all the stories. 
All right, we've been told by him we can't say anything vaguely controversial about his sailing his sailing youth. Well, you so. can't escape history. Um, I, I, you're right, Starfry. I've heard I've heard much a party atmosphere to the, which I think is good. I don't get me wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, it's um, whatever works for you, hey? Yeah, yeah. I think one of my favourite Johnny and Ian four seventy stories. I think you'll you'll know better than me. Was it an Istaff Worlds where they thought they'd won the regatta with a race to spare? Oh. God, and yeah. they came in on the coach's advice that they'd won. I won't say the coach's name. Oh, God, um, yeah. And got ashore, and then they didn't win. Anyway, they decided to have a couple of sherbets before the prize giving, stood at one end of the pool in their blazers, and then when their names were announced with a silver medal, just dived into the pool, <laughs> swam a length, got out and got on the podium. <laughs> what, did a front crawl to the podium, yeah. basically? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good lads. No, I, yeah, sadly, that's, uh, sad. well, luckily for me, I get to learn that lesson from someone else. So I know. you guys managed to get that, you know, to do exceptionally well when you consider the competition. I mean, our, our 470 squad was pretty extraordinary, actually, when you were battling for the London 2012 um, berth, wasn't it? I mean, that's... Yeah. Oh, God, I mean, you know, it's, you know, actually, Johnny and Ian... Have, where of uh, what I hear a great um, inspirational and a learning um, a pair to teach what Nick and Joe I mean I know Draper was in and Graham Viles and Mark Plummer and all that but um, um, yeah you know it does filter interestingly it filters down if to the like Nick Nick was really good to me and Twiggy in our first years in the boat when we were 18 year olds like we contacted Nick because um, because he was obviously the guy that had been steering the boat um, with Joe. And he, to us, it was obvious, well, he's the guy you go to. You, we want to get better in 470. Well, let's call, let's get straight to the horse's mouth, Nick and Joe, and ask them to help, you know. And and he was really, really good to us in those years and helped teach us methodically going through learning the craft of the 470. But sport's cruel, isn't it? You know, you d- we didn't think at that point we'd actually be battling it out with them in our trials a few years later. Uh, it, but, you know, it's... it's Well, and, and he would be sailing with my teammate at that point, Twiggy. You know, so it's mental how you you kind of look at it. But, but 470 in the UK has been a real strength um, for, de- well, two decades really, hasn't it? Except yeah, one colour is missing, was, isn't it? I think it was as strong as, as 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 ever before we even started to medal. I mean, you look at the people who've come through the class mm. in Laurie, Ozzy Stewart, mm. Mike Holmes. Mm. Um, you know, we, we go back a long way. I know. It's, I actually, you know, one of my, I'm all for the sport evolving and foiling and flying. I think it's cool. It, it makes me desperately sad, though, to to lose some of the old school classes along the way. Uh, it, you know, in my mind, there are some in-betweener classes that are just don't need to, don't serve a huge purpose. Whereas I think the new generation does serve a purpose and I think the old generation does. I feel like we should, you know, if it was up to me, I'd have a much clearer line of sand in the middle. Forget these interim boats. Just, yeah, yeah. just, Go fast or go slow, and let's keep it, keep it there. You know, it's such a shame when the star got thrown out for me. I, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, that's. Think how many 
well, like you said, in the 470 has hosted so many of the sports greats um, to any level. So, I mean, the 470 is on its way out, I think. It's just a case of when. I mean, it's gone mixed, hasn't it? So that's stage one. It's like uh, probably being with a girlfriend. You get the puppy and you're like, well, I know what's coming after this puppy. It's kids. I know what's happening. It's the mortgage. It's the puppy. Then it's the mortgage. Then it's kids. And we're in. You know? Have you got a puppy yet? No, no, I don't, no. I can't look after myself, man, let alone a dog. They're going a little bit off script, so Stretch will probably put his head in his hands now. But to me, the 470 is such an amazing technical boat Mm -hmm. to look at and to see sailed. I've always wanted to know, so you go from sailing upwind, I don't know, Twiggy's just on the wire, maybe in the boat, and then suddenly you are smoking up wind planing. And I see you little fellows in the back. You pull a hundred strings, move everything bar nothing on the boat. Can you just talk us through what you're doing, what you're adjusting? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll pour my next dram. Oh, well, H. Just before you go into the technicalities of 470s, what, what is the next? Uh, what is the next whiskey? So the next ram is um, uh, it's a Ben Riech. Um It's a ten-year-old, um, and this whiskey is uh, it, one of the. There's not many whiskies that are triple distilled, so they sort of say when you when you distill it thrice, um, you get an incredibly like crisp and clear whiskey. Which you might, you may or may not want. Um, they're usually slightly lighter in colour, which is what that is compared to our our honey that I had a minute ago. Uh, where is Bendriach? I don't actually know where that is. I think it's a oh Murrayshire. Yes, it's up in the northeast, up near where my grandfather was in Zulus. So um, is that Highland whiskey? Um, well, more northeastern than that, more Cairngorms, like the River Spey, Speyside, basically. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's not far off the big big hills. Yeah. So sorry, Stirfry, you wanted to talk something about four seventies, and um... <laughs> to be honest, let's just stick with the whiskey. Every day is a school day. It's very good. <laughs> isn't it? Four seventy, and I thought it was quite easy. You just went in a straight line. You pulled the centerboard down, pulled the sails in. But yeah, more. No, so we've got uh, you. You can the ruling in the four seventies. You can kind of lead anything back. You can change all the systems in the boat. I mean, you know. Obviously, the dragons, you're all over that as well, Star Fry, with the amount of systems that are running about. But, um, I mean, the things that are led back to me are, um, of course, the simple things like main sheet, kicker, and Cunningham. I've got board up, board down. Yep. I've got jib track forward and back. Uh, I've got the rig tension. Um, well, we call it the rig tension but it's a control that does many things as well when you pull it on and let it off it's not just about rig tension it, you know if you if you ease it you rake the mast you open the slot um, you put more side bend in and you straighten the mast slightly you reduce the, ch- the pressure and the chocks at the front of the gate you know there's a number of things that happen but anyway so that's led back um, and then you know some people have gone extreme with with um, things like adjustable well not this an extreme setting but like adjustable toe straps or outhauls or um, whatever else you know but what am I pulling when it happens it depends depends what I'm trying to achieve because 
I would pull different things if I was, you know, tactically looking to push forwards and hit higher VMGs, or if I'm looking to keep high and keep slow for whatever reason that might be. Um, and so it varies on, it varies on, the decision is almost based often tactically, what what I pull first and what I do first. But but a very basic go-to is no matter what happens is you cannot accelerate if the slot is closed and if the centre board's down. And obviously inversely in the lull. I'm not, I'm not obviously I'm not telling you that. You're far longer in the tooth than I am in this sport. But I just mean that that's our, above all else, that has to happen for accelerating or finding grip. But it's just the intricacies around that that I'll be firing my hands into to try and, and get it from 80% right to 95% right. And would there be a wind speed where you'll be sailing up wind not planing and then there'll be a, a, an increase and you will then do a radical change and sail a completely different mode to get best VMG? Yeah, yeah. And in the really the hardest one is that when your lulls are non-planing and your gusts are planing because you've got this huge, huge percentage difference of pressure hitting the boat. And, um, and, and, and it's a, sometimes there, if it's about, for us, it's about how long is the gust staying in? And so if the gust is going to stay for a while, whatever we deem a while to be, then it's worth doing a, a fairly extreme change to get the boat planing. Because yep. if the gust was too short and we dropped the bow, loosened everything up, opened the slot, dive her up to get planing, for that to last eight seconds and then try and drive her back up into high mode and get all the controls back on, you'd probably say, do you know what? I'll just feather her through this gust, just high and slow, high and slow, and keep our averages quite high. Um, sorry, our average height, our average high mode quite high. Um, but we really like, Twiggy and I, that's that crossover suits our skill set well like we are we are good at getting a boat planing that brings us on to actually probably our next question which is um the dynamic of having little and large Twiggy is um the world's longest skinniest man um certainly a lot of leverage when he's on on the on the wire but um how does it work for you guys is it is it an advantage it obviously was worked well because you go lightning fast but um uh, has it been something you've had to work on? Yeah, yeah. We the, one of the challenges we have is that we have our um, rule forty-two shuts off in eight knots in the four seventy-eight, so we can flap and pump our way around the course in well as long as they put the flag up in eight knots and up. Um, and one of the challenges with that is especially downwind because Twiggy's so much bigger than I am. We're not when we're trying to rock the boat together either side when we're on the leeward side of the boat. It's not a fair game. It's like sitting on a seesaw with someone double your weight. You know, you're not, you're not going to. I can't really influence it much. So Twig, what we've had to adapt is poor Twiggy. I say poor Twiggy. He's bloody good at it. Twiggy's movement, like his dynamic movement, his span that he has to move across the boat in and out, is massive. It's massive because my influence is is quite quite little uh quite wee um and he does such a good job for a guy that's seven foot 14 you know and and his hands are about a mile and a half away from his body you know like for a guy that size with 
you know, tall people normally don't have the coordination of smaller people, but Twiggy does an f- unbelievably good job at, at ironing out that crease for us. Um, but, you know, we, we're built for the 470 in 1996, little and large, two-mile beats, you know, get the boat up yep. to full speed and go hammer into the next oscillating shift. Whereas we're not in that world. We're in eight-minute beats, thrust into tacking eight times, maybe, you know, um, and where we are muscling the boat into manoeuvres. It's a different world, really, from, I guess, Johnny and Ian's day. Even Nick and Joe's day in the early part, you know. What conditions are you expecting for Tokyo? Ooh. Well, whatever I'm expecting, it won't be like that. We know that. That's a, that's a, that's written in stone in our sport. Um, uh, seven to 12, 13 knots statistically hangs around for the majority of the time. But like your fry, star fry, seven knots is a far cry from sailing 470 in 13 knots because that's planing and not planing. So skill sets are wildly different. 7 to 13 knot sounds, oh yeah, middle of the range. It is chalk and cheese in our boat of what it, what it takes to win a boat race in, in, those, in that small window, you know. Um, so we'll get big swell, no doubt, because it's typhoon season, even though we hopefully won't get any typhoons, but they'll be 2,000 miles away rolling their swell up, you know, from the Pacific. So we'll get big swell. Um, and for the most part, it'll be light-ish thermals, light-ish sea breezes, probably. And do you think there'll be much development of kit over the next year, given that you're selected to go and you'll have a tuning partner? And yeah, I mean, we, you know, in theory, it was meant to be about a hundred days to the games now, so we'd 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 moved into a, a really finite. Um, it was the small details. It was tiny little refinements. We'd done the bulk of the work that was hopefully going to make us faster. Um, we're. It's funny you ask that. We're at, we're mid conversations at the minute as to what does this mean now. We were suddenly gifted three hundred percent more in time, weren't we? Um, so we, we are mid conversation what that means for the equipment. Because the reality is we'd. We need to be careful about not to dive too hard down the development road, whereas we felt we'd got just about there, versus well, we have been given 365 days extra, so what what can we do? It's a journey always, you know. You've got to, the, the hard thing about it, I find, is you never you never hit perfection. You close the door before, and you ne- you'll never get there anyway. I, I mean, I, I can only imagine... In the America's Cup, it's even more magnified. You know, they get you, what you'd give for one extra week of testing. Well, the only time. thing, the only thing you can't buy is time. Yeah, exactly. And we've yeah, well, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's we 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 Twee and I have had a turbulent eighteen months in the class, and what has started to settle it was. Uh, we found our feet with the equipment and we started to turn our heads into racing and execution. I don't want to relive the turbulent times over this no. this winter. I, I would rather... I, there's an element of me that would rather say we were almost all there with equipment. Let's stay in the refinement phase. Let's not reverse to where we were a year ago and let's just stay refined, like in refinement and and look at creating 
good procedures in the boat, race harder earlier, try and get more of an authority in the pecking order, you know, and use this time to execute and actually race well. As much as my interest, try and go faster, I'm, I'm tempted to, to keep us in this refinement area and not, not drift away from that. Even will if you, you tune against any foreigners? Uh, yeah, we, we've got a really strong relationship with a Turkish team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really nice guys. Um, and their skill sets don't match ours, which is perfect. Um, so we get a lot out of each other. Um, and we do bits. We, do, I mean, we, you know, it's, it's funny, isn't it, sport? You do, you do these unspoken... You do these training sessions that you both know you're using each other and that's fine and and there's an etiquette we won't film or photograph you you don't film or photograph us and you're using each other's abilities you know whether it be the swedes or the spanish or something so i i always find that a bit funny you know it's 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 an opportunity to learn from them and also an opportunity to if you're sailing better is crush them yeah crush them make them go in doubting their their ability or not ability sounds very arrogant doubt you but you know what i mean make them go in doubting their what they've put together you know so there's and we get crushed on days too but you know it's it you take it when you've got it yeah i'm encouraged to hear you say uh establish the pecking order because i think going into any big event you know whatever people say there is a form book and there is due deference paid to people who are in form or have um you know medals already around their neck yeah. Are you, are you still using Zauli kit? No, we we well we use a Zauli spinnaker. Um but we um you know we moved to Zauli when we moved uh when we I mean th- th- this is one of the turbulent things about our last 18 months. So when when I saw you last Thursday we had the um Andrea Manini the Italian coach and he he's the guy that designs the Zauli sails. Um and as a coaching setup for me and Twiggy, it it just didn't work. You know, the, Andrea's skill sets and our skill sets were almost too married. You know, and and so we had bigger gaps than I I would have liked. You know, and so it just we didn't all see eye to eye, um, and it 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 was a bit of a it was a really distracting time to to try and navigate our way through that. It's nothing Andrea did wrong. You know, it's, it's just, you know what it's like. You, you, you are harmonious with some people, not with others. And we just weren't harmonious with Andrea, but he's, you know, he's a great guy and he's, he coaches, he's coached and coaches boats to medal level, you know, um, it just wasn't the right formula for us. So we then, you know, I've, I've worked with Morgan most my, adult life in the class um and morgan was you know he's just been phenomenal phenomenally patient at um is is he's just got such a his ego is so what's the word i'm stumbling on my words like morgan doesn't take anything personally you know he he understands that everyone goes about their business and they're only trying to do what's right for them you know and he's he's a great guy to be able to pick up the phone to nervously as I was and said look I know we worked together in the past and I worked with Andrea for this year but would you come and help me win my my medal with me and Twiggy you know and he's like you know I'd love to guys that'd be great 
you know, and he's just it, 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 it was a it was a tricky old year. Christ, I wouldn't recommend to anyone that they go through a series of politics when you're trying to perform. It's an absolute disaster. It doesn't work. That's great news to have Morgan back on board now, though. Yeah, yeah. He he, he brings... I mean, I, I've only done... I, I see him a lot around the traps, uh, and I've only sailed a couple of uh, times with him coaching, but he brings an enormous sense of well-being. And as you say, he always puts everyone in front of himself. Um, I would say having him back involved might be the final piece of the jigsaw. Oh, I mean, he... he you know, the, our medal in London with Stuart... He was coaching us in London. Yeah. Um, it, it was he? He helped steer. He helped keep our our excited and um, sort of uh, what would be the right word? I hate the word talent, so I'm not going to use that. Like he kept Mutual our enthusiasm. Yeah, our, our, and our and our uh, our oblivious nature to risk on a race course. He kept that very much in check and helped steer us through the marathon that is an Olympics. Not the boat yeah. race, the marathon, you know. Um, and in my older age and more experienced, Morgan's a different guy to me now. He is, he's like, well, you tell me what's right for you. What do you feel? You know, you've been in this class a long time. You know, so he takes on a different persona depending on who you are. And he's phenomenally good at that. And one thing of all the things that Morgan is great at is he he, he knows what it takes for me as an individual and he's known me since I was 21 22 and I'm 33 now and with Morgan I just feel like I I'm I'm being watched over by my dad or something but yet with with the, there's full autonomy in the team and and there's full ability for anyone to say anything and it's all in the good of the goal you know and um so Morgan's a great guy he's a great guy I'm very lucky that he wants to coach us. I, mean, I think we all remember your your medal race in uh, um, in 2012. Feeling quite amazed watching you about. You just looked so relaxed. <laughs> I mean, there were some quite good camera angles for that yeah. for that race and everything like that. And you were, I think it was just before the start actually, or even actually probably just after the start. And you went into attack, and I think you even looked back at the camera and sort of gave it a wink. And. Uh, <laughs> Um, going into your third Olympics, are you able to continue to be that relaxed and that sort of carefree? Um, or is now all that knowledge and that perhaps that weight of experience, is it a bit different? It is different, yeah. It is different. I would be lying if I said it was the same. But it, funnily enough, I, I've, like I said, it's been a turbulent 18 months. I, I'm finding the love for it again and the excitement. And actually, a year delay plays right into our hands, you know, just objectively speaking which will keep rekindling that. But it is different. I mean, Stuart and I had an absolute blast. Like it was, you know, it wasn't a, a, whatever you call it, a front or a, you know, we did have a lot of fun. And, and you know, the, the sort of smile, <laughs> God, it's embarrassing, but just like the smiles and the camera and stuff like that. I mean, in the boat, me and him would be, like, say we got the better of the Aussies in a certain situation. Okay, they beat us in the end. But say we got the better of... Like, we did a couple of match racing bits before that start. Gave them two penalties. Immediately had the better of them off the line. You know, we, we would just... That, Stuart and I's style was to just turn to each other and go, ha, come on then, lads. You know, a bit of, like... 
you call it you'd almost call it a bit of young arrogance perhaps but not malicious arrogance thinking we're the best it was just a bit of just backing yourself you know we'd back ourselves all the time both to our success and our demise but no olympics number three is not like that if it ever bloody happens but no olympic number three is um it feels more of a i'm with twiggy and morgan stuff we're we're putting together a a process and and it's like a we're we're mapping out a procedure and then we're performing it you know we're we're running through it's like the whole campaign's like a the checklist and the Boeing 747 before they take off it's a bit more boring it's a bit more by the book it's a bit more there's not a lot of room for error and risk in what we do now um round the edges I'm talking about the racing's all racing you know you do the right things for the right reasons so no it's it's a different atmosphere, wildly different. I'm talking of, of going by the book. The, <clears throat> the rule book is is thrown out now with the delay of the Olympics. Yeah. I suppose it's about a whole new world of planning and plotting and and everything. I mean, have you chat, sat down with the British sailing team yet to sort of work out what you guys are going to do next? Uh, funnily enough, we've got our that meeting on Thursday, so in two days' time. But you know. Behind the scenes, yeah, we've been we've been chatting at length. It's, what what does it mean? What does giving an extra year mean? And it's not really an extra year. You you count it from today, so it's like giving because you're in a taper and a run up now. If the games had been in July, but it's not. So actually, we're now saying right, it's sixteen months of the games, fifteen months, whatever it is, four hundred and seventy days. You know, so it's it's um, the questions you one should ask himself is is at this stage, what were you nervous of that you'd run out of time for? What was your biggest What was your biggest worry that might be your Achilles heel? What was going to trip you up and you weren't going to win the games because of this thing? Well, now you've got 400 days to address that. I keep changing the number. <laughs> 400 days, 470 days, whatever. You've now got that time to address it. And that's a critical question that shouldn't be taken too lightly. And, and, and trying to be as objective as possible. And as, as and the, the interesting thing is, is I think, as you go into a big competition you've been waiting for for four years, like you're saying, stuff, right? You, the first race of the games will be here whether you're ready or not. You can't buy time. It will arrive. And so there comes a point where you're as, just as well kidding yourself on that you don't have a weakness and black, and, ah, bullshit, ah, that, won't, that won't trip me up. You know, it's, a, it's, it's backing yourself and believing in yourself and having confidence that, that you've got the package you need. Whether you do or don't is completely irrelevant at a certain point leading into the games because you just have to lay off. You've, you've run out of time to address the issue. The issue is as good as it's going to be and so you have to take it off your shoulder. You know, so the bit I find interesting is the challenge in being gifted a year is that you've got to to bring that all back like and reopen it again. And I find that quite, I almost find in the minute when I talk about it, it's, it's almost like it's attacking your ego, whereas it's not because a year ago you would have talked about it objectively. It's just now you're more emotional to it because you'd already sent it away. Because you didn't have time to deal with it. I don't know if I've waffled on there. I don't know if that makes sense. No, 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 no we get. It. I mean, one of the practicalities <laughs> is ticking off um, your, your to-do list of, of what you need to achieve before the games. But a big thing that no one talks about, but actually Ian Walker was chatting to us about it last week, is 
practicalities of finance. You know, you've got another God, year yeah. now of, of, of a very, very high-end campaign that is all geared around winning a medal. Yeah. Um, so how do you go about that whilst focusing on sailing? Yeah, well, good question. We're learning that. as we. I mean, you know, Twiggy and I have had to, to... I mean, you obviously do the initial thing, which is the realisation that you're no longer running the same type of program as you did for a year you know it's it's already strapped it's now you, you accept that we're running a strapped campaign and of course so is everyone in the world whatever it is they do everything's now strapped isn't it so no one's alone and i and you know and, and i'm quite sure mark and ian will turn around at some point and say guys we can only afford to give you this much every three months whatever that number will be and for sure it's going to be less you know, so it's about, I think it's, you know, finding, you know, what, what are the things that we can do that money has no, doesn't even play a part in? And of course, it's always things like just hours on the water, being as slick as you can be in the UK. That doesn't cost us anything, relatively speaking, you know. And so it's, it's, it's finding the things that, you know, it's, fine. it's quite simple, isn't it? You have the three columns. What must we have? what would we like to have and what's an absolute, um, uh, what would we not need? You know, the three, you fill in those three columns and you quickly go, right, well, we'll get rid of that 30%. And then you start talking about the middle column was what would we like? What's most important in the what we'd like? And the ones that are we must have will happen anyway. So you don't need to worry about it. There's only one column that needs a discussion. Um, what did you guys do? I mean, um, Steph, I said you'd done a bit too much dragon sailing in the last year. <laughs> yeah. um, but, um, I mean, as you say, time is so precious. But do you go out and do some more pro sailing to earn some money? Is it about finding sponsorship? What, what's um, my, my Well, I mean, my feeling to answer that just here and now is I think you would go and try and find some pro sailing. Finding a sponsor is draining as hell. 90% of the time it ends in, 95% of the time it doesn't end in anything, but you've just put up a ton of energy into it. Whereas pro sailing, you get to go sailing. Tick. You're racing. Tick. You're in a boat, you know. Uh, and then it's providing you with cash that you can put into buying your next jib or something. That being said, I can only imagine, like, what, who's going to be wanting to pay for white, pasty, hairy, Scottish lads in the front of their boat you know while the whole world economy is gone i can't I mean, you know i, can't, I don't know if that industry will be i mean you know star fry's here on the call right now because he's not in a dragon because the whole system's gone down as well well i think it's a very good call that um there's got to be a whiskey firm out there <laughs> and, and on that note what is our third bottle well who are we advertising next <laughs> i'm 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 just drinking my copper dog i i finished my uh, monkey shoulder, so I'm going to bring this into play. Oh, Balvent, that looks dark. Wait, I can't quite see the label. You need to go yeah. up a bit. Balvenny Peated 14. Oof. It was a gift, so it's probably quite a good one. Mate. I, the light's doing it an injustice, Lukey. So. Mate, get that open. All right. Get that open. I'll, I'll, I'm going to head southwest as to Bowmore. Oh. A 15 wow. year old. Um, no, Frank, we're with a class act today, aren't we? I mean, it's walking it's... us through the Highlands. Yeah, we've, yeah, yeah. No, where have we been again? Aberla yeah, in fact, we have. We've gone, we started in the Cairngorms. We started right in the middle of Scotland, like smack bang in the middle with that. 
We went up to the northeast where the Zulu fishermen and the fanatics are. And we're heading right down southwest now, Bowmore, where everything basically tastes like the sea, salty. Well, I mean, if ever there was a time for a whiskey company to come and back a talented sailor, actually, proper knowledge. Well, me and Joe Glanfield I had a friend that um, I sailed with Joe. I don't. I sailed with Joe Glanfield for one season after London, twenty twelve, when when Stuart decided he could not deal with four more years of dieting. He was like, nah, absolutely not. Then uh, I started sailing with Glanfield, and we glad that's disrespectful, Joe, and we. Uh, we somehow managed to get ourselves to a position where we had a contract written with Bowmore Whiskey and we were there with our pens about to sign on the dotted line and uh, like often these things go, they, they pulled out on the 11th hour. Um, but but as a, a sorry package, they gave us about a thousand bottles of Bowmore Whiskey. To... That, that's a major performance enhancer. Yeah, I'm quite sure I'm going to get in trouble for the fact that I'm broadcasted as pouring a whiskey but alas why change a habit of a lifetime i think um, um needs must in these times well and also, probably as, as whiskey number four starts to roll that we can we can think about um wrapping this up but um Luke, well there's only whiskey to... three so we've got a good bit of time then uh. <laughs> <laughs> Behind in that case, um, Luke, you're a brilliant value to listen to, and um, and you've been fantastic value to watch as a as an Olympian who's represented our country so fantastically. I just you know we just wish you the best for for Tokyo 2021 as it is yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, Tokyo 2020. We're not quite sure what they want to call themselves, but um, you know we just I think we all just want to wish you the best. You're such a brilliant ambassador for 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 British sailing over the next year, however you structure your, your, um, your new training regime, I think we're all behind you. So thank you very much for your time. No, I, I really, really appreciate, appreciate that. It. Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. thanks for having me. Well, good luck with the future. That's the most important thing yeah. now. And yeah. um, we're all just fingers crossed we can get Tokyo away and you guys can... Yeah, I know. ...and continue to, you know, put the fun into sailing, which is a big part of Stir Fries and my chats with people, I think, is remembering that... The reason why we sail, which is you know yeah. to really enjoy the. I ride. think something like this will will bring that more to the forefront of the, probably any industry, you know. But yeah, I agree. Should be fun. All I've learned is you shouldn't try and do an interview after five glasses of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> I've not had five. <laughs> I think I think I mean in terms of wrap up stretch, you've nailed it. But um, you're going to be a friend of the pod, and um, yeah, you're going to be cool. successful. And you're going to be back on before the games and also afterwards with your goal. Yeah, nice, lads. I'll Brilliant. gladly do that. It's cool. Thanks, Luke. You're a bloody star. I'm going to stop recording now. Yeah, fine. If I'm sober enough. <laughs>